Now, you go in the beauty parlor, ladies, you know, and you're tired of your look. What do you say? Something like, you know, make me different. Make me new. I want to be different. Well, they might change your outside, but I'll tell you this. God can change you on the inside. God can not only fix what's broken, God can take what's good and make it better. And he has the ability to change you. This series, The New You, it was found from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Just a brief review. Look at verse 14, the New Living Translation. It says, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our, what did it say? Old life. I know there's a lot of Bible translations, and one I'm using is the one on the screen today. But to our old life. So how many know if the Bible suggests you as a Christian have an old life, it presumes you have a? There you go. Let's keep reading. He died for everyone, so they receive his new life, will no longer live for themselves. Now, if that's the one thing that I could give you from last week's message and really for perhaps your entire Christian life, if you want to become the person God created you to be, you've got to choose to stop living for yourself and start living for Christ. Now, look further. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a, a new person or new... The King James, I think, says new creation or new creature. I don't know if you have any new creatures sitting next to you today, but we'll stick with person right now. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So there's the old you and there's the... Yeah, that's what we're talking about last week. You seem very excited this morning. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the old Saul and the new Paul. We're going to look at a specific guy in Scripture that God totally transformed his life. But just take a peek at the graphic. You see it on the screen. You see a frog with a crown on his head standing, looking in a mirror. Okay, now it may not look like the frog, but it suggests the spiritual reality. How many know when you're born again, when you believe in Christ, God adopts you in his family and you become a new creation? Now, listen, that could happen for some of you today. It happened to me on August 15, 1976, a long time ago. I had been raised in church all my life, but I came to a point, a pivotal point in life, where I said, you know what, I'm tired of living for myself, Jesus. I want to live for you. I want to ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Christ died for my sins, and that he was raised and resurrected, and I received his offer of new life. Now, the very next day, I could have got up. I looked like the same, John. A lot of my attitudes and actions were the same, but yet, in God's eyes, he'd adopted me and his family and instead of a frog in the mirror there was a prince now if you're a lady it could be a princess but the bottom line there's a crown on your head because you're adopted in the family of god that makes you a new person a new creation and it happens when you believe in christ now now, now how many know believing in christ is not enough now i didn't say you had to do more than believe to go to heaven but what i said god expects more than just heaven for you there's believing in christ where we put our trust in him, and then there is following Christ, where the frog begins to, you know, morph into a prince. He begins to look like a prince because he or she is acting differently. And that's what God expects for you. He wants more than just information in your head about the Bible and spiritual things. He's looking for a transformation of your heart. So with that background, let's look at Acts chapter 8, the old Saul Becoming the new Paul. Now, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the New Living Translation, says that Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. How many know that's not good? Not good. Destroying the church. Saul was a Jewish man. He was raised as a Pharisee. He was very religious. 
I can virtually guarantee you, as far as the rules of religion, he was doing a better job than you or I. And he'd done it all his life. And he, he, he thought in reality that Christianity was not the way. He thought Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic or something, but he didn't believe that Christ was who he said he was. And he was hell-bent, if I can use the word, because he was an emissary of hell itself, and he was literally trying to destroy the church. He was trying to kill Christian people, and he was doing it. He went from house to house, and he dragged out men and women and threw them in prison. Which literally means he would hear that, let's say, you went to church on the rock this morning, and if you were in his day, and it would be illegal, and he would ask you, were you in church this morning, Joe? And you know, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to deny Christ? Or are you going to... Well, yes, I would. He'd take you to prison. He might take your child out of your home. I mean, that's a bad guy. He watched Stephen be stoned, and he gave approval to what was going on. He's uttering threats with every breath and eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, I want to tell you this. That's the old Saul. If you would jump ahead to chapter 9, verse 20, he had an amazing experience. God changed his life. And in verse 20, it says, immediately, everybody say immediately. And here's what I want you to see. It may take the beauty shop operator several hours to make a new you. And it may last a few days or a few weeks. But God is able to bring a spiritual change instantaneously. He can cause lost people to be saved. He can cause people that are blinded by sin to have their eyes open, the veil be taken away. And it happened, and the Bible says, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Now, the same Jesus he was trying to kill and stop, now the Bible says, Paul said, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard about him were amazed, and they said, isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jewish or Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? Now, how could that happen? How could you go from killing Christians to worshiping the Lord that you're trying to destroy? Think about it. It's like the most devout Muslim, uh, uh, Louis Farrakhan, comes to mind. You know, standing strongly for the Muslim faith. It's like one day he's on the news and talking about Islam and Muhammad, and the next day... He's on another station saying, something happened to me yesterday. My eyes were open. The blinders came off. I realized the true love of God and I received Christ as my Savior. How could that happen? I'll tell you, God can change you on the inside. And God can do it in a moment of time. And this morning, we're talking about change. Because I want to tell you this. It's not just the new you was changed. The new you can change i got three amens. I appreciate it. I'm going to get the rest of you before I'm done. The new you can change. I want to tell you, God can change your attitudes. He can change your behavior. God can turn you from a hateful, vindictive person into a loving person. God can turn you from a bitter, angry person to a person that's at peace. I mean, no, God can change your heart. God can change you from a stalker, come on, to someone that's freed from that kind of controlling behavior. He can change you. He can change attitudes. He can change your character. He can turn a liar into an honest person. How many know that? He can turn someone that hates someone because of the color of their skin. He can turn them into someone that loves someone that's different from them. How can that happen? God can change your heart. He can change attitudes. He can change behavior. You know, He can change your, 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 your view of life. And not just by information. He is changing your heart. Now, let me give you the key to the whole thing. You've got to know this for the message. It is simple, but it is profound. God changes you as you say yes to Him. And you'll see in this entire chapter as we go through the life of Paul, Paul continually, it was a series 
of yes. Take a peek at it this morning and let's see, because not only did God change Paul, God can change you. See, your marriage may be in trouble and you may come to, came to the altar. I need you to pray for my wife. She's just this wretched, vile woman. And I need God to change my husband, preacher. He just doesn't... Maybe God needs to change you. And if God changes you, guess what may happen to them? They may change too. Let's kind of take a peek this one. Look in chapter 9. Let me give you an overview of the old Saul becoming the new Paul when he started saying yes to Christ. We'll take about 30 minutes in the Bible together, 25 minutes or so, and then we're going to have communion together. But Saul had a dramatic encounter with Jesus. It started this way. He's riding his little horse or donkey. He's going to kill some more Christians to arrest them. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, Jesus heard the prayers of people that are being praying for this man. And the Bible says in the middle of the daytime, the brightness of the sun, he saw a light that eclipsed the sun. And it was so bright, it blinded him. And he heard a voice. He was knocked from his horse. He's blinded. And this voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Something happened. He had a God encounter. And that's what began it for him. But now listen to the series of yeses. Look at verse 5. After he's knocked to the ground, it's interesting what he said. Was it a UFO? Was it a nuclear bomb? No. Who are you, Lord? He realized something. His eyes had been opened, though he was blinded. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Have you ever thought how deeply Christ identifies with Christians that are undergoing suffering? See, Jesus is resurrected from the dead already. But when he's persecuting Christians, he's persecuting Christ because we are his bride. We are one. Now, look at verse six. Now, get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. And guess what he did? He said, yes. He simply said, OK, how do you know that preacher? Because he's in the city of Damascus. See, now I want you to see this. You don't see the word Y-S, but you see his behavior and the fruit of everything God is asking for him to produce this change. He is saying yes. He goes to the city. Now look at verse 17. Ananias was a believer. Ananias had a vision, and in his vision he saw this man called Saul, and the Lord said, I want you to go and talk to him. And isn't it amazing how sometimes when God wants us to do something, we tell God why we can't? You've never done that, have you? We tell God what we think God doesn't know. Lord, don't you know that this man is killing Christians, which means he may kill me too. But the Lord said, listen, I didn't ask you to explain it to me. I just asked you to do what I said, Ananias. You go down there and talk to him because I've got big plans for Saul's life. The brother obeys. He's changing too. And he goes down there. Look what he says. He laid his hands on him and he said, brother Saul. And that means laying hands. You might have noticed when we were praying for people around the altar, people were touching, not improperly, but they put their hand on their head. They might have put their hand on their shoulder. They might have taken their hand. What is that? It's a, it's a sense of spiritual transference in the Bible. There is the doctrine of the laying on of hands. But it was a spiritual impartation of the Holy Spirit that came from Ananias to Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so you might what? Regain your sight and be... All right, let me illustrate this. Jeff, come up more quick. What if I am Ananias and you're Saul, and I, and I say, the Lord sent me to put my hand on you so you can be healed, and I start to do that, and you say, no, don't touch me. Now, the Bible says this blind man, as you continue to read, scales fell from his eyes and he could see. But if he would have said, no, don't pray for me. No, 
I don't want to talk to you. Guess what it would have done? It would have stopped the change that God was wanting to do. There has to be a willingness to say yes to what God wants to do. It could be as simple as during our prayer time in the middle of our service. When I had an opportunity, I said, if you need God to help you in some way, if you need to make a step to God, that prophetic word that I gave about God caring for you, wanting change, wanting a new day, that was the invitation. Well, guess what? Something had the potential to happen if you came, but guess what if you said no and didn't come? You're too quiet on me this morning. You have to say yes to God. You have to say yes to what... And we'll explain what you say yes to in just a minute. But Saul's life, as he becomes Paul, is a series of saying yes to God. He didn't say no. He said... In verse 18, he said yes to Christian baptism. I'm amazed at how many people... Come to the altar and say, I want to get right with God. I want you to pray for me. Some may have tears. Some may not. That's irrelevant. But you can tell clearly they're reaching out to God. But they don't come and get baptized. They don't follow up when we have, for example, classes to teach people and to train people. They don't come to the classes. When we give them a Bible, God, they don't read their Bible. Come on, you're getting too quiet on me. Now, first service was a little better than this. Well, how are we going to change if we don't say yes to God's prescription? It's like, I want, I want my spiritual life to be like Tylenol and a headache. I have a headache, I want to take the two tablets, I want it to be gone. I, even if I have cancer today, I just want a pill, doctor, and, and I want it to go. If I've got sinus, give me a Zyrtec and I want it to go. But spiritual things don't work that way. You have to say yes to God on the journey. He said yes to Christian baptism. Look in verse 19. He stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. He used to hate the believers. He used to hang out with just the Jews. But now he's hanging out with Christians, which means what? He said yes to fellowship. And then it goes on to say, immediately he begins preaching Jesus. So now he says yes to the Great Commission. So in this simple chapter, I would encourage you to go back and read it again. And his whole response after he Christ reaches out to him is his whole rest of the chapter is about him saying, yes to the Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And I can promise you the key to your change is you're responding and saying yes to God. I'm preaching better than your amening this morning. Now, let me tell you what you say yes to. And this is as foundational as anything I'd ever give you, but I promise you it's life-changing. What do you say yes to? Let me tell you, the Bible says in verse 922, you say yes to what God has said. Can you say that? Yes to what God has said. Number two, yes to what God is saying. See, what he said was, is in the Bible. What he's saying is what the Holy Spirit is speaking today. Yes to what God is doing. Yeah, that circumstances in your life that seem to be ordered by God. And then lastly, yes to proven spiritual leadership, a means by which God speaks to you. So let me say those four things real quickly. Yes to what God has said. That's the written word. Yes to what God is saying. That's a spoken word. That's what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. Yes to the circumstances that God seems to be orchestrating your life through, even though you may not want it. But if God seems to be behind it, if a dream has to die, if a change has to come, listen, and that's the circumstance, you say yes to God. And lastly, the proven leadership. Let me give you these verses. Yes to what God has said. Verse 922, it says, Paul believed and declared that Jesus is the Messiah. That was the Savior. Why? Because the Bible clearly taught it and he chose to believe it. Let me tell you how this works. Let's say you've got something going on in your life. Let's say that you've got a little, a little private sin going on. Anybody have any of those? 
It's not private anymore, Bill, in there. You just raised your hand. Anybody else? Any private sins going on here? You bunch of liars. Everyone wearing shoes this morning. Don't take those sandals off. Everyone wearing shoes has something that goes on the inside of you that you know shouldn't be there. And let's say you're in the midst of it. The only problem is we tend to like some of those things. I'm meddling. I'm going to stop. But let's say you're reading your Bible in Proverbs where it says, He who conceals his sin, hides them, cover them up, excuse them, will not prosper. But listen, he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. Well, what if you just read that and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you and he wants to do more than just you to tell God, I'm sorry again. And you know the confession is to God, you don't need a man. But what if the Holy Spirit says, you need to bring someone in your world. You need to get some accountability going. Come on. And rather than picking up the phone, rather than calling somebody and say, hey, can, will you go out to lunch with me? You know, rather than say, Pastor Joe, will you, I, I need to talk to you about something. Can I, can I talk to you? You know, uh, I got something going on. Would you pray for me? Come to the altar. Rather than doing it, we ignore it. I'll tell you, you're not going to change if you don't say yes to what God said. But how about yes to what God is saying? You remember when, when Saul heard that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem, Jesus told him, or D Damascus? He did it. Last night I had a dream, and, and I can tell most of the time if my dreams are just, you know, pizza dreams or if they're spiritual dreams. There's just a different sense about it. Well, last night I had a dream. I woke up, and my friend was in my dream, and I could tell in the dream through the circumstances he was troubled. Well, I don't think God showed me that this morning just to tell me something extra. So I sent him a text message, and I said, God showed me something in, in, in a dream. Is everything okay? How are you doing? I just want you to know somebody's here. Come on. That's the way the Spirit-led life is supposed to work, that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be involved with leading us. You say, where is that in the Bible? It is when Philip was told by the angel, thank you very much, that he was supposed to go south to Gaza, and he spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. Come on. And the Lord said, go talk to him. And the gospel went to North Africa. That should be normal. So yes to what God said, yes to what he's saying, and here's a real big one, yes to what God is doing. Now, what you think about this? Here's this guy, this educated guy, laying on the ground, blind as a bat, can't see in the middle of the day, and he heard a voice. Could it just maybe that God is directing some circumstances and he wants to do something with that? And sometimes in life, see, one of the ways where I, you know, when we read in Corinthians about stop living for yourself and start living for God, that doesn't just mean you stop doing bad things. And start doing good things. There's a lot of good things and good dreams and all that that are in our life that God just simply wants to say, I've got something better. And what God will often do, listen, I wanted to marry the wrong girl when I was 21. My wife's not here, I can say that. I already told her. I really wanted to marry her real bad. She was the one. You've never had that, have you? She was a dental technician when I was in the Navy. Now, I would have probably had cleaner teeth had I married her. I brush and floss and use the whitener, but I, she'd have probably, I'd have probably had a little better mouth going on. But I think the woman I married was a better helpmeet for me. Come on. But God totally had to shut her out of my life, the first one. And I didn't like it. I prayed against it or for her. I prayed for the, you know, relationship. I bound the devil. I did, I did all those things because that's what I wanted. And by the way, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. And clearly that was what I wanted. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. 
Sometimes we're living for ourselves, and God's got to put some circumstances in our life to redirect us. Do you think this is all just, you know, religious? I don't know what. You know, when we sing these songs about yielding to God, giving our life to God, wanting His way in our life, you come to the front, I want you to pray for me. I want to get right with God. I want God to be first in my life. And you go out the next day, and here's this girl in your life that God doesn't want in your life, and you're mad because God doesn't let you have her. I am preaching better than your amening. Change happens when you say yes. See, and the last one is saying yes to proven spiritual leadership. And you remember when Saul, his story, when he, when, when, when he submitted to Barnabas and Barnabas took him to the apostles. All right, just a little extra there. Now, let me say this. Most of the time when God will speak to you, most of the time when God is you know, changing you, it's not knocking you off your horse and seeing a bright light. Most of the time, it is the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit in us. Most of the time, it is the rhema word of the Scripture when you read the Bible and it slaps you in the face. Most of the time, it is the word of counsel or perhaps even a word of preaching from a spiritual leader that's got a good track record. It could be a spiritual, it could be a word of knowledge, it could be a word of wisdom, but most of the time, that's how God directs our life. Someone say, praise the Lord. And we want to say yes, because if you don't say yes, here's the bottom line, you don't have to say yes. But if you don't say yes, I guarantee you, change is not coming. Yes brings change. No may not only stop change, it may send you back to where you were. Let's keep going just a little bit more and we're going we're gonna to do communion. Go to First Timothy chapter 1. And this is a big one. I think this is going to help some people that are here today. I ask you a real honest question. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. Does anybody struggle with feeling unworthy or condemnation? from your past life. And I don't mean just, you know, it could be last week, but it could be 10 years ago, it could be 20 years ago. Now, now let me say something about this, because there's some lessons that we see in the life of Saul. Listen to what Paul said. Now, Paul is writing in Timothy to his son in the faith about his past. And he said, in the past, remember this whole series, there's an old you and a... So, then the old you... Here's what he's saying. The old me spoke against Christ. I persecuted him and I did all kind of things to hurt him. But God showed me mercy. Now, I want you to hear this today because I can guarantee you this. The devil beats some of us like a, you know, it's bad. The devil keeps some of us as back row Christians. He keeps some of us because we don't feel that we are worthy to do anything for God. We don't feel that we're good enough to, whatever, lead a Bible study, teach a class, go on a mission trip, and certainly not to go in ministry because of what I did before. Because I've been to jail, because I had an abortion, because I, because I, you know, whatever, because I hurt somebody, because I told a lie, because I, some big thing that harasses us. Would you please listen to the Bible? God showed me mercy. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't believe. But the grace of our Lord, everybody say grace. Grace is God's goodness when you don't deserve it. It was fully given to me. And with that grace came faith and love that are in Christ. And what I'm telling you is true. And you should fully accept it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to. And I am the worst. I'm the worst. But I was given mercy. So that in me, the worst of all sinners, Christ Jesus could show that he has patience without limit. Can I tell you before I finish that, when I sin, and I sin sometimes, and it's none of your business what it is, 
I don't feel like coming to God. I feel like hiding. I, I, I want to do what Adam and Eve did with the fig leaves. And the last thing I want to do is come to prayer and say, it's me again. Oh, by the way, I've got to tell you what I did again. can't remember how many times I've done it. It's been so many, but I did again. And we think God would say, would you sit out in the waiting room, please? Would you take a time out and go in the corner, please? You know, you're going to have to get a spanking before you come in my presence. Now, listen, this is not to excuse the gravity of sin. But, you know, in Hebrews, the Bible says we don't have a high priest who cannot identify with our weaknesses. Remember the high priest of the Old Testament? He would go before God with blood for the people. See, he would go as a sacrifice for sins. And he would do it every year. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is not like that. That Jesus could identify with all of our weaknesses, yet without sin. And then it says this incredible verse. It says, therefore, let us come boldly into his presence that we might find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So what the Bible is saying in the midst of blowing it again, bad you don't know what I did. I was a drug addict and I stole my mama's wedding ring. Yeah, was that bad? Yeah, that's bad. Does it matter? It matters. Grace does not say it doesn't matter. Grace is not like, well, running to the priest. I watched this movie about Gangsterland years ago and this little boy told his life story when he was a boy. He'd do something wrong. He'd go into the priest and he'd say, bless me, Father, I've sinned and oh, whatever I did. And the priest would bless him and he'd run out and he was saying, oh, it feels good. Now, I can, now I'm free. I can go do it again. That is not what we're talking about here. There's consequences. But God says this. I want you to come to me when you mess up, not run away from me. And I want you to let that sink in. Church, prayer, going to the Bible is the first place you should go when you mess up, not the last place. Let that sink in your heart. He said, his patience with me made me an example for those who would believe in him and have life forever. Which simply means this. Paul said, I was the worst sinner on the planet, but God used me to give you an example, believers in Texarkana in 2010. He wanted me to show you how great is the love of God. I think you need to give God a big hand for that. Paul wants to tell you this. Nothing you've done or will do can make Jesus stop loving you. Could I just, if I could just open up your mind and get in this thing with you today. There's nothing you could ever do that would make him stop loving you. There's nothing that you have done. Listen now. And there's nothing that you will do that will make him stop loving you. Does sin matter? Oh, yeah. It sent Christ to a cross. But it did not cancel his love for you. And it is the devil who wants to use shame and condemnation and that sense of false guilt. So you take it on yourself for your sin rather than coming to Christ as we're born again. Listen, God sees all we do. He knows everything about us, but he still loves us. You know, the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he separated our sins from us. And I want to tell you, it crossed Christ, his life. In just a minute, you're going to hold a cup of juice and a small portion of bread representing the body of Christ. It cost him so much, and it seems too easy for me just to be able to confess my sin. But isn't that what the Bible says, First John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me close with this. Some change is instantaneous, but most change is progressive. Let me say it again. I have met people that came to a church altar addicted to some, uh, some drug, uh, crack cocaine, and they got free and never went back to it. But I have met other Christian people in the same altar that have come a hundred times and is still struggling with the stuff. Can I tell you, listen, mo some change is instantaneous and most is progressive and I cannot explain it. Let me give you this scripture. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 22. What does it say? Saul did what? He grew. Everybody say grew. He grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means that God most likely will not change things about you just like that. I wish it were that. I wish every time we had a prayer service, you could come to the altar and it would instantly change. Sometimes it happens, but oftentimes it is a progressive beginning, come on, or it's part of a journey in your sanctification that God uses to change you as you grow. And that is why change is accelerated when you are growing spiritually. Let me say it again. Change is accelerated when you're growing spiritually. It is the difference between pushing your bicycle and riding that can speed down a hill when you are growing spiritually. I can just tell you this. If you are someone who is, who is, and I watch people around the altar this morning for prayer. I watch people. I guarantee you, if that became a starting place and, and beginning today, you open your Bible. Maybe you go back and you pick up the message again. You look on the Internet. You download it to your iPod. You can get it to iTunes, the notes, or whatever you want to do. You listen to it again. And tomorrow you get up and you read your Bible. You, go to, you find a Bible study somewhere. You go to the Connect class. You get in a small group. You get baptized in water. I guarantee you, people that are doing those things are growing spiritually. See, spiritual growth produces change. But if you just come to church every once in a while, read your Bible when you feel like it, pray when you're in trouble, I went to this friend, you're not going anywhere. Life in and of itself is like walking against an escalator. You can imagine when you go to the airport, you know, long, you know, Dallas Terminal somewhere. If you ever got on one of the escalators and you're carrying your bag and you're moving and that thing is going in this direction and you're walking, it's like you're just walking 10 miles an hour, it seems like. And the person next to you, you're just passing them left and right. Life is not like that. The Christian life is not with... The Christian life goes against the escalator. I'm just telling you. And you're walking against it. And you've got to be outpacing the opposition of the world, sin, your past, the devil, people that are want to pull you back. And you're walking. And the moment you stop, something's at working and it's pulling you back. I could be Michael Jackson. I hope he's in heaven. He's somewhere. They're making money off of him. Come on. Making money off poor Elvis still. Hoping he shows up in Las Vegas or somewhere. But his eternal soul, come on, is worth everything. Well, I'm going to close. I'm going to tell you this. There's nothing about you that God can't change. God took a murderer. His name was Saul. A murderer. Killed people. And he turned him into someone that wrote the greatest passage of love in the whole Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. God took an immoral woman, her name was Mary Magdalene, and turned her into a worshiper. God took Peter, who was a scared fisherman, and he made him into a bold preacher on the day of Pentecost. God took a man from the region of the Gadarenes, filled with demons, freed him, 
And he took this crazy man and he made him into a, a normal, sane person. How can God do that? He can change you. God's in the change business, friend. He can change your attitudes. He can change behavior. He can change addictions. Listen. He can change the way we relate to people. He can change our relationships. He can change our heart. He may not always change our circumstances. Because he's using those circumstances sometimes to make us depend on him. But he can always change you. Come on, give the Lord a big hand this morning. Our ushers are going to begin to serve communion to you. We're going to have just a couple testimonies about changed lives. And I'm going to encourage you, when you get that communion, just hold it in your hand. We'll all take it together. If you want to put the cup on the floor or something, you can. But I want you to listen to a couple people that have not been primed by the preacher. But they're just people who, out of the abundance of their heart, are telling you what I've been preaching to you for 30 minutes. God can change your life. And I give you some hope today. Amen. Got the whole Freeman family here. But tell us your names. Uh, you know how God's changed your life, what's been going on um, since you let God have an opportunity in your life. Well, <clears throat> I guess a couple years ago, um, I guess it's been almost three, I was really addicted to a lot of drugs and, and just party, that crazy life. And, and the Lord got a hold of me one night and just changed it. And since then, He's begun to change my family. And I just thank God that, that I can look here on this this row and and two and a half years ago none of us were in church and today my family is here with me of course there's more out there but i believe that that god will bring us all here together and and another thing i want to say is i used to walk after the lord you know i just was in this pace that i just was slowly going and, and every time i begin to run i would get scared and and talk up you know the devil the enemy would just whisper in my ear about my old life and and i just want to encourage you just to run after god because it is so much more sweet to run after him than it is to walk just just let that past go in your life and just begin to run and it'll just it'll change your walk forever see what dad has to say Uh, my name's brent and i'm jason's dad and uh I've smoked my first joint in 1974. We didn't smoke blunts back then. We smoked joints. But uh, went my it was my 13th birthday, and they took me to see The Exorcist at the old Pro Theater downtown. And from then on, I just I don't know. I just was on drugs my whole life. Did every kind of drug there is: crack, meth, ecstasy, Lortab. You know anything? I was trying anything and everything. Alcohol. And nothing worked. And then about uh, two years ago, I started wanting to kill myself and because nothing was working for me. And I was just, that's all I could think of for six months. I went in deep depression, ended up in a mental hospital about six times, and got on about five. Uh, that, that, they had me on about five or six staying out of presence. But uh, I came out of there and I decided I started seeing what God was doing in Jason's life. Mm. And I started coming to church and I started, you know believing that it had faith that it could happen and 
My wife was still on drugs, and I was trying to quit. And I decided on January 1st, 09, that I'd just quit everything. <laughs> Smoking, drinking, pills, and antidepressants, and everything. <laughs> and, uh, and I quit, but I still wasn't, I mean, I still didn't have it inside. Ended up going to a place that's called Straight Street. <laughs> I stayed there for about three months, and it's a faith-based uh, restoration center for men. And I, I learned how to have a intimate relationship with God. <sighs> <laughs> Come right back to you. I'm going to let your wife say a little bit. I'm going to come back to you. I'm proud of you. Because we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. We love our life sent to death. I tell you what this. Thank you, Jesus. Um, well, I'm Lisa Freeman. I'm Jason's stepmom. And uh, I've been doing drugs for 26 years. I did every kind of drug impossible. Um, I've been to the penitentiary twice. Um, nothing stopped me. It didn't matter. I wasn't. The penitentiary didn't scare me. Um, ODing on drugs didn't scare me. I did every kind of drug there is possible and some that probably I, somebody shouldn't have done. And um, I've been to 10 treatment centers, and none of the treatment centers would help me. Uh, the day I got out, I'd get high. It didn't matter to me. I'd drink, whatever. Anything I could get a hold of, I did. And uh, they did real good for about two years, and I'm pretty hardcore. I didn't want to quit. You know, I, I didn't think I needed to, and uh, I didn't think God would help me. And then... <laughs> and then I don't know what happened all of a sudden um, the Holy Spirit convicted me one day and it was just like all this just didn't work anymore for me and I was pregnant and I used while I was pregnant it, it, you know it didn't matter to me I can have, still have a healthy baby thank God you know that was totally God I was not even supposed to have children and I prayed about a child and I have a child and uh, so finally, in October, I went to a faith-based treatment center in Atlanta, Hadassah House, and I stayed there for about 30 days. And I got an intimate relationship with God there. He has saved my marriage. I have a family. Um, I'm working on my family. Um, it's awesome. Every day I thank God, and I thank God for everything He's done for me, my marriage, my children, everything. And that's it. Well, let's come back. Tell us what it's like now that you've kind of let God have control, you know, what the difference is, what you'd recommend for somebody out there. Oh, it's great. Everything, I mean, everything's not perfect, but I mean, I feel better than I've felt since I was 13. And uh, I just, I didn't know what I was supposed to do until I started looking to God, going towards God. And now that I live that life, I mean, everything is great. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Give him a hand clap. We're proud of you. you want Marty or not? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You want Marty? I'll have Marty come up. This little different slant, somebody that's a little more familiar with church, maybe growing up, and, and just tell us what the Lord's done in your life. Um, my name is Marty. I'm Pastor Joe's sister. Um, I grew up in church. I was saved when I was 12. And... Um, 
about eight months ago, I started coming to the church, this church. Well, prior to eight months, um, I thought I was okay. I was depressed a lot. I sat a lot. Didn't have any problems, but I still was down and depressed all the time and had pity parties and felt sorry for myself because I didn't have this, I didn't have that, and uh, made pretty much everybody around me miserable. And um, I didn't want to be around happy people. Happy people bothered me because I wasn't happy. And um, JoJo was preaching on Wednesday night, and I wanted to hear him preach. So I went, I came here to hear him preach. And something started happening in me, and I came back the next Sunday. And I felt the presence of God. And I don't think I've ever felt the literal presence of God. And I told people, God's at church on the rock, because I felt him. And I was just so amazed by that. And I was kind of proud of myself that I had felt the presence of God. So I went home and took all the shows off the television I shouldn't be watching, took the music off I shouldn't be listening to. And God said, that's not enough. I want more. So the next Sunday, I sit over there, and I waited until Pastor John said, anybody need to get saved? Anybody want to rededicate your life? I came down here, and I gave God everything. And the devil just had this blanket over me that had been there for so long that I couldn't hear God. And once I just gave just a little bit up for God, I could hear him. And um, the thing is, I didn't have problems then. I've got problems now. I know the devil's throwing stuff at me now, but they're just bouncing off me. Some mornings I have to wake up and think, now what were your problems? Because I, they're not bothering me. I have three big things going on in my life right now. And the other day I was outside and I was praying. And I said, God, I don't know what to do about these things. I can't control them. I, have the, I don't have the answers. I'm giving them to you. And at plain as day, I heard God say, fear not, my child. I got this. So most mornings I have to wake up and I don't even remember what they are. They're so insignificant to me. Um, but I thought I was okay, but I wasn't. And I didn't realize it until God reached down and took me from okay to awesome. Thank you, Jesus. You know, Pastor, that's what people need to do when they invite people to hand them those cards and tell them, you need to come to this church because Jesus is in that place. Amen. Yeah, you know, all of them talked about church. Having no church doesn't change your life. But church is a place where you can meet Jesus. I don't hear about Jesus when I go to McDonald's. I don't go to McDonald's much, but but you understand? You don't hear Jesus when you go to the mall. But this is a place where people are exalting Christ. And I tell you, the greatest change you can make in your life is when you give your life to Christ. The starting place for the new you is when you say, Jesus, I need you. I have sinned. I want to give you my life, and I don't want to hold back. You're not just trying to get a ticket to go to heaven. You're giving Christ your life. And in return, he gives you forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And I wonder if you're here today, before we take communion, you say, Pastor, I need what they were talking about. I've been in church in my life, but I don't have that. I want to get saved. I want God to wash my sins away. I want a brand new start in life. I'm ready for my old you to become my new you. So if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, won't you pray for me? I want to get right with God today. For some, it may be the first time you've ever asked this, prayed this prayer. For others, you might have walked with Christ in the past, but you just got away. And today, you want to get back on track. But either way, you want to get right with God as we take communion. So if you're here today and say, Pastor, won't you pray for me? I want to get right with God, and we'll do it right now. Would you just lift your hand real quickly this morning? Anyone this morning? God bless you, too. Give them a hand if you can. I know it's difficult. Anybody else? I want to get right with God. 
Anybody else this morning? I want to get right with God today. I want to put my trust in Christ. All right. God bless you. Ladies, why don't you do this? Why don't you just come on up here? Come on up here. Come on up here. And just, I want you to just sit right here by Marty. Come on up here. Come on up here. Just tell them. Hey, say, we're proud of you girls. Anybody else need to make a step to Christ today? Come on up here. We'll, we'll, come on up here. Come on up here, dear. Give her a big hand as she comes today. God bless you. So I need to get right with Christ. Come on up here. Anybody else? I need to get right with Christ today. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. What's your name? Christopher, we're proud of you this morning. Why don't you go with these girls, and after communion, we'll have somebody talk with you here and make sure you understand what's, what's going on. Crystal needs communion, I think, here. Somebody could bring her some ushers, help her out here. Praise the Lord. Look in our Bible this morning as we receive communion together. It's the words of Paul the Apostle. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he said this. Paul said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And Jesus said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here's what I want to tell you today. This little wafer, that's what it is, this little wafer. But it reminds you that Christ gave his life for you. It reminds you of his suffering and of his sacrifice. It reminds you of his hope of eternal life. And I want to encourage you today, before we take communion today, we all need God's forgiveness. And we're told to examine ourselves. And that doesn't mean we beat ourselves up, but it simply means saying, Lord, if I'm off track, I want to get on track. If I've been on the wide path, I want on the narrow path. And I need your forgiveness, and I want to forgive people who sin against me. Because how many know Jesus, the Bible teaches us that the same way I forgive men their sins, guess what God will do? That's the way that he's going to forgive us. So would you bow your head just a second, and Pastor Nick has just a verse. And I want you to just kind of search your heart just a minute, and just see if God might show you anything you need to confess and bring under the blood as we prepare for communion. Just ask God to wash you today and cleanse you. My God is mighty to Everything new in your life. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Thank you, God. Well, Lord, today we do receive the forgiveness of Christ, that wonderful gift He's given us ask you to bless this bread today. I pray, Lord, that it would be life-giving. I pray that any sick person, body, soul, and spirit would be healed as we remember the broken body of Christ. Bless the bread today in Jesus' name. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, notice what it says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christianity is not just looking back at the cross. How many know Christianity is looking ahead at the future? And the future, my friends, uh, knows that a resurrected Christ is coming back to this earth one day to get his bride. The Bible says one day there's going to be a trumpet sound. One day the dead in Christ are going to rise. One day Jesus is coming back and he's going to set things in order. And we remember this today. That the power of his blood can forgive my sins. The power of his blood can turn the old me into the new me. It can do it the first time as these ladies have taken a step towards Christ today. And it can do it every day.
for the rest of our life. He's awesome, isn't he? The Lord is awesome. Lift your cup to him today as we say until he comes because one day Christ is coming and I want to be living for him with all my heart. God bless the cup today as we partake it together. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand as we sing together? Give us a good chorus. Here's what we're going to pray for this week, divine appointments. Because once there's a new you, people are going to see that there's a countless change on your life. So we're going to pray for divine appointments to be placed in your life. If you said you enjoyed church today and you want some more, good for you because tonight at 6 o'clock we're going to have prayer. And if you want more of God, be here because it's going to be life changing. 6 o'clock. If you want a good seat, be here at 5.59. So on the count of three, we're going to go out and we're going to say each one reach one and make a declaration this week. You're going to change somebody's life for Jesus Christ. On three, rock fist. One, two, three. Each one, reach one. God bless you.